I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy mid-June. Happy, uh, what do we got? Oh, happy, I mean, lacrosse future is uh, now settled. Uh, was that, did, did you guys have the podcast last week before that was announced or after? I forget. Uh, it was after, because that kind of came like uh, on the weekend. Okay, right. Okay. I could start to remember the timing of it. Yeah, what a what a what a crazy few uh few weeks. Um but and then more news today, which we were got a hint at pretty soon after the gate news team is uh Dave Petramala? What 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 craziness? Yeah, <laughs> like, this is uh... what a ridiculous like like just like total I mean I think people like when it when it was first reported by I think Brent, um Brent Axe, like I feel like people said it was like some like message board like fever dream nonsense, but uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, one of the comments uh, on the article on on the blog was like, "This is like hiring John Thompson uh, to to be an assistant for Bayheim." Like that actually wouldn't have been the worst thing to be honest. The thing, the one I said, uh, and I have to like go dig it up. Um, I I tweeted something out after the news uh, that people oh here we go uh i said it was basically if gino oriama took over for calhoun at uconn but if gino was also kareem abdul jabbar about uh that was about gate um <laughs> and then to throw in the petromala thing just like i mean what was what would be the equivalent there is if like he hired uh i guess if he hired like john thompson <laughs> like just like just just crazy like it's just a wild a wild uh whole set of things i mean i think I think it should hopefully quell some of the concerns about like, I mean, if, if there were too many concerns about gate being able to adjust to now the men's game, um, he has one of the most experienced and successful men's head coaches on his staff. Now um, also shoring up the defense, which was a major concern this year. Um, and also there's like some recruiting angles uh, there as well. So yeah. Wow. Just, just, it's just a lot. Yeah. Uh, for those who weren't following along, his uh, son is the number two rated recruit for 2022. Um, so as Dan and I were joking before we started, we're turning into the uh, Kentucky basketball of, of men's lacrosse. Uh, the plenty of other Eastern. programs do that sort of thing too, of course, but just, 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 just looking at one that, that you might want to reference. Yeah. At least it's a, it's a uh, successful one. Um, they, uh, he's committed currently to UNC, right? He's either committed or he's like heavily leaning there. I, I forget exactly. He is committed is. to UNC. Um, Obviously, the the big draw, maybe not for him, but at least for his parents, um, is the fact that you know he would get after the first year get an employee discount. 
and get free tuition also wouldn't count against our scholarships, uh, which, which is, would make things which is huge for lacrosse. Yeah, absolutely. When you don't have a ton of full scholarships or really any uh, to speak of, and you're kind of dividing them up between um, a large team, so could be huge. Uh, we shall see there. Uh, definitely seems like a pretty exciting staff for SU. You know, all, all the, uh, the the consternation around you know SU men's lacrosse hiring the school's women's lacrosse coach away um, aside. I, I do think that, you know, Gate seems to be approaching things well um, and, and at least setting himself up for for, for success. And, and really, like, that, you know, I think the standard here, Gate obviously has a – I think he still has, like, the sort of wiggle room because he has just, you know, the Hall of Fame credentials, the history at SU. Like, he has wiggle room here, but I don't necessarily know how long – people are going to be willing to wait, even, even if Gary Gate is, is coaching the team, how long people are going to be willing to wait until uh, SU is, you know, back to playing on Memorial Day weekend every year? Yeah, no, I think there's real pressure. Um, I think there's, it, 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 there's real pressure on the men's program because, like, there's talent on the roster. This was a team that was entering the season, seen as, like, a national championship contender. Um, you're hoping that Gate is able to spark something um, that uh, – that, kind of returns the team to where it was uh, two years ago. And maybe it's just kind of a new voice and a new face uh, can help do that because, um, you know, not to put it all on Destro, but like clearly something there was like just something fell apart this year. And uh, I don't think he would have gotten forced that. I think he was probably like, okay with uh, handing things over to, you know, one of the greatest players in, in the history of the sport, someone who's coached at SU who like is very ingrained in the culture. Um yeah, I think the 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 concerns for the women's program are quite legitimate. Um, at the same time, it's like I I wonder a I wonder if like it's been understood that whenever Desto hung it up, whether it was this year or next year, or whenever like that date would have the shot. Um, and if that's the case, which wouldn't surprise me, and you know, but there hasn't been any like reporting on this. It's just like you're reading between the lines. Like it, it makes sense that with how things worked out, that like he at least had a pretty decent understanding that he would have a shot at the job. Um, if he hadn't gotten it, then like you're probably losing gate at some point down the line from the women's team as well. So um, if, if this was like a goal of his that he wasn't going to be able to achieve. Um, so at the same time, hopefully the uh, powers that be uh, wild hack and everyone um, go and make a really thoughtful, like strong women's hire. And to that program is on the precipice of a national championship too. And I think they need to take advantage of that. They can't, they can't settle on with that program. Like we need to go take home a title. Like the program's way too close to not. So um, yeah, I, I'm not going to get too worked up about it. Um, as long as whatever we do with the women's program is like thoughtful and we hire like a really competitive staff and like we're, we're showing the investment in that program as well and not just like kicking them to the curb. I definitely agree. Kevin and I uh, talked about that a little bit last time out, but yeah, I, I, I think that hopefully we see a, a new hire soon um, over on the women's side, hopefully, um, you know, the, the, the salary allowances that were freed up for gate were not just um, because of his hall of fame credentials as a player, um, but, but also just because the team, the school is willing to invest, um, you know, heavily in the women's program. So hopefully we see more of that, um, going forward. Moving on a couple other items, uh, here, we want to stick with Syracuse stuff for a little bit, um, before we get to, um, college football playoff, which does touch Syracuse, even if tangentially at the moment, um, and it's an NBA playoff talk. Um, before we wrap up today, since Dan will have, uh, you know, a chance to air some grievances, I'm sure. Uh, but talking first, uh, Willie Tyler, uh, ought to tackle commit, uh, from Texas, never actually played at Texas, but, 
uh, commit from Texas. He was transferring to SU. Um, he decommitted um, late last week. Uh, bummer to see you know us lose anyone else um, on the offensive line, but at the same time, there's clearly a reason. Uh, there's also clearly like a a good influx of talent, um, even if unproven talent um, on the line of late. SU still has a ton of guys. Um, that they've added in recent years, despite the departures. Um, and, and I think, you know, having a regime change there as well on the offensive line coaching front is just all in all, I think is good for us. And, and, and I think that, you know, while I'm bummed not to see Tyler, I, I think that SU clearly has some other plans um, in place. And I'm hoping that, you know, obviously they turn out well. I think just given his history with touch ball so far, it like can't come as that big a surprise. It's disappointing because like he seemed like a high upside guy. Um, you know, anytime you get a transfer from Texas, even if there were like some asterisks there, um, you know, you, you you hope to to bring some guy like that in. But it, it does seem like we have stopped uh, some talent over the last couple of years. We have a, a fresh, you know, you know, we've refreshed that side of the ball and and with our new uh, offensive. Uh, offensive line coach and like I don't know it seems like the the things we've heard coming out of spring um, have been mostly positive uh, so it's it's hard to like get too too worked up over a guy who hadn't even like been here yet um, but at the same time like it would have been nice to bring him in just just you know just to compete so um, I don't know that it's like a huge huge loss but uh, but you hope that uh, you they have they have a plan in place and I think they do yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, obviously, again, like we, we've added a ton of guys. I, I think that there's, you know, like someone like Jacob Bradford who was a Juco transfer, like does seem like someone who could potentially step up. Um, again, we really didn't know what we were going to get out of Tyler um, in, in year one. Anyway, I said this isn't to downplay the loss. I don't want to act like this, you know, we, we were pretty excited about adding him so we can't suddenly be like, you know, shrug about him leaving. Uh, but but I, but I do think that, you know, that's another spot that we could potentially, uh, you know, use down the road um, and, and add some more talent. And I think that while, again, unproven uh, across the board so far um, in terms of depth um, on the line, we still have a lot of guys we could potentially plug in. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, regime change and, and, and just uh, what seems like a refocused um, approach on offense this offseason um, helps us out a ton. I mean, really nothing could be worse in the last two years um, in, in terms of protection, in terms of O-line health. Um, and, and I know people were joking, but hopefully we don't see uh, we don't see Chris Elmore um, back on the line, despite the fact that he was actually pretty effective there last year. Yeah, if we could not have to convert uh, defensive linemen slash uh, fullbacks to offensive line, I think that would be a major step forward for the program. I um, would concur. Yeah, uh, but no, I totally agree. I mean, I think, I think uh, we... We very much needed an overhaul of that situation uh, at that position. Um, obviously, it's nice that Mike Kevin had a landing spot at Arizona State, and uh, yeah, just uh, excited about just all of that. Like, I think we it, it was it was much needed after the last couple of years, and um, I guess the upside is like hopefully some of these guys that have gotten, thr- gotten thrust into like serious playing time the last few years, which we say over and over, but hopefully this is like the season where it starts to bear fruit and like you have a bunch of experienced players who um, have been overwhelmed in the past, but we'll, we'll start to like fit, uh, you know, fill out as, as players and, and uh, take advantage of the situation. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, if, if we have did off the line play, I think we're like in pretty good shape. That's just such a major, a major key that we've been so, so far behind in. Yeah. I, I really like, and, and that I think is, is, is such a, a core issue 
for this team. I mean, we, we've seen individual performances um, as well as group performances uh, farewell linebacker spot at defensive line in the secondary, um, you know, even quarterback play, wide receiver play. Like we saw, you know, Sean Tucker run well last year. Really, like the line is the glaring issue, uh, especially in the last couple of seasons. Uh, as we kind of, you know, diagnose what's wrong, I think and Dino said himself, it kind of starts it starts with the line. Um, and then I, I think SU, unfortunately, from a play calling standpoint, um, has just been forced into some unenviable hands as a result of just poor offensive line play. And there's only so much you can do. That's not an excuse. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that the, the play calling has been acceptable in the last two seasons. But um, I, I think the, noting and understanding the line issues at least informs how some of how we got there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, it, it's, that's going to be kind of the make or break thing for this season in general. Like if it doesn't get better, we're, you know, the, the, the Babers, uh, the Babers era is in real trouble, but I will hold out hope because I, I do think we've heard more good things in the last couple, uh, last couple of months than we had um, even like going into last year where it was like, you know, we were hoping things were going to improve, but there was certainly no guarantee. And also like the, abridged like chaotic offseason certainly didn't help matters i don't think no not at all i mean if people recall that you had like a handful of practices before um everything was uh ceased and then they weren't back on campus you know until um like late july so that's a lot of time with with, with some young players uh with you know some new systems on both sides of the ball like the defense was able to uh, adjust so and I know a lot of critics had that to say, like, how come the defense was able to figure it out? Like, the defense did figure it out, admittedly, but um, I, I do think that the defense figured it out almost in spite of itself. And you did see an improvement at certain aspects of things um, over the course of the year, while in others, like the linebackers, I felt like, as they were relatively healthy, you saw linebacker improvement over the course of the year. Uh, well, I'd argue that um, you saw diminishing returns, uh, at, you know, in the secondary, despite some bright spots. Uh, just because of injuries. And I think you saw, you know, defensive line, while it was veteran laden, didn't necessarily ever, ever put it together. Cause I think they, while I think they could have done better. I also think that they had to carry a lot of water for a very young team in every other spot. Yeah. It's also like, I don't know. I, I think we shouldn't just like, it's almost kind of shocking how good the defense was last year, to be honest. <laughs> like we obviously had talented players there as, as we saw with the, with the three defensive bats who are all in the NFL now. And, and, you know, we knew we had other good players on the, on the roster, but like, it wouldn't have been surprising if, uh, if the program had kind of like fallen off on that side a little bit too, just because of all the pressure put on it by the offense being a total like mess. So um, yeah, I, I don't know that like, it's fair to assume that the offense should have just been able to, obviously it should have been better than it was like that. It's not its use by any means, but just because the defense was so like shockingly good last year doesn't mean the offense is going to be able to overcome all of those same things. That being said, the offense just can't be that bad again. Like it, it has to take a major step forward. And, you know, hopefully there, we, we just have more depth and more, you know, time in uh, with, with our, you know, we have new coaches at positions of need. We have guys who are now in their second or third years uh, coaching uh, like Sterling Gilbert. Hopefully he, you know, starts to, to pay dividends. Um, and just hopefully health in general is, is, is a, is a improved because that has also been a major factor. Um, and hopefully we don't get to our like fourth quarterback. So like, <laughs> and even if we do, the fourth quarterback will probably be more talented than it was last year. So um, there's just a lot. Of, I, I think there are, there are reasons for optimism, even if like, you know, it's hard to, 
to just guarantee like this major shift forward to a bowl or whatever. I, I think, you know, it, you can allow yourself to be optimistic about the factors that we like know and, and seem to have some control over. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Dan, I know we're kind of limited on time today, so maybe we do a little halftime here. Um, we can get into some of our other topics for the day. Uh, so what have you been drinking of late? Cool. I've had a, a couple decent things. Um, I forgot to – I realized I forgot to check into whatever I had uh, at with Andy at the Nets game, the last good Nets game, um, which is a, a shame. It was something – it was some good collaboration – uh, between I want to say Fats Farm and other half, uh, I'll I'll try to look it up while we're going. But uh, things I have did remember to check in. Uh, let's see, I had uh, got my hands on some lunch by Mean uh, couple like a week ago, which always always a, a big win. I picked up a four pack of coated tiles from LIC Beer Project, one of the better uh, pale ales from uh, the city. Uh, I was up in Connecticut for a couple days last week, and I had some Sea Hag from New England Brewing, one of the better Connecticut breweries. Um, had some Moon Mosa from Stillwater Artisanal, which is a Brooklyn brewery, but had it up there. Um, really delicious, uh, kind of like a tangerine sour, um, super drinkable. And then also had some uh, Sip of Sunshine from Lawson's, which was uh, you know always nice to, to find. Oh, yeah. That one's always a winner. Uh, I always try to drink some. Actually, I don't really go out of my way to find it when I'm uh, on the East Coast, but it usually pops up. Uh, which is always appreciated. Uh, on my end, I was in Montana uh, last week, for much of last week into the weekend, had a bunch of new stuff uh, from Bozeman Brewing Company, had Hop Zone IPA that was pretty good, uh, from Phillipsburg Brewing, had Montana One, uh, Lone Peak had a couple interesting ones, uh, Hippie Highway was actually really good, I actually was at the brewery, uh, so tried that one, that was actually a really good oatmeal stout, um, had... From Mountains Walking uh, Brewing, had Nice Fella Pilsner. Uh, it's kind of an Italian-style Pilsner. It was pretty good. Um, then June's, June Grass uh, IPA. That was really good. It, it, they actually did – like, I, I did not expect Montana beer scene to be, like, this solid um, all around. And I felt like they did a nice job of some West Coast styles, some East Coast styles. Uh, so I was definitely impressed there. also had from Map Brewing, uh, Midas Crush. That was kind of, a, I guess, like a hybrid, uh, a kind of hazy uh, West Coast IPA. Um, and then I had Checkmate Pilsner from Red Lodge and uh, Scepter IPA from Driftworks. So all around, nice to be in the mountains and, uh, and nice to drink some good beer. Shouts to Montana. Yeah, sh- shouts to Montana. Again, uh, underrated beer scene. So definitely, uh, if you're in the mountain states, definitely check it out. Um, so, Dan, uh, one of the other, like the last, like strictly Syracuse uh, related topic today. Um, that I want to talk about in light of the uh, rewatch series that we're going to be doing for Syracuse men's basketball this off season that James is going to be running. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, maybe a handful of Syracuse games, any sport um, that you wish news magician had been around for, for those who forget news magician has been around since October, 2006. Uh, that is quite a while ago, but that still leaves a lot of Syracuse history left uncovered. Uh, so curious if you had, I know that all of these will predate your fandom, but Curious if you had any 
uh, any games right off the top of your head that uh, that you definitely like to see. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously, like, um, I mean, the obvious ones like the 2003 run, like, we would have had just right. so much fun, like, so much fun. <laughs> um, I think, like, and I think what this has been discussed on the site, like, semi recently, uh, the 1996 run, I think, kind of gets overshadowed for a lot of reasons. It's like kind of like the proto. Obviously, we were we were a, a four seed, so it wasn't like we were like giant underdogs, but it was kind of like the proto uh, whatever we've been doing these last couple of years run, where we weren't really like a huge national championship team, uh, like team with those kind of aspirations. Obviously, had a one great player with John Wallace and a you know nice surrounding cast. I think that. That run, which, you know, I've seen parts of, I've seen, like, I think I've seen that national championship game a couple times in Kentucky. But I think, yeah, like, seeing uh, maybe, like, the Mississippi State game in the Final Four uh, and also maybe the game against Kansas in the Elite Eight um, and the Georgia the, game, honestly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the that, crazy that, Georgia that, game. Yeah, that whole run there. I mean, like, the Drexel game, I don't think anyone wants to relive, like, that terror. Even if 11-point win, yes, but at the same time, like, you just don't want to relive that against the, you know, tricky 12 seed. But... Yeah, the, the Georgia, Kansas, Mississippi State, even the Kentucky game, like that four game run, I think, I, I think, would, yeah, like you said, would have had a great time kind of sitting, uh, sitting around in, in a in a game thread and one of like the old school game threads, uh, maybe not like some of the newer game threads, no offense to uh, to the frequenters of it. But uh, <laughs> I, obviously game threads, I think in general, have just changed dramatically. Um, in terms of you know the conversation and, and I think part of it too is just quality of play that just gets everybody a little more irritable yeah I mean I think that's just kind of natural I mean obviously there's you know things that you would hope would go better but like you know things are going to be more fun when teams are doing well um, I'd also probably say like the obviously the 87 football team but like specifically the bowl game I think like it would have been very frustrating but also <laughs> would have been very very good content <laughs> yeah great content some good jokes um I know for me, the 2002 uh, Syracuse-Virginia Tech game that went three overtimes uh, would have been a really fun one. We won 50-42 to 42 in that game. I'm trying to think of some other ones that I had like written down. These were some of the bigger ones. What else? Oh, so that was one. Uh, Syracuse-Virginia Tech in 1998, uh, the 28-26 game when, uh, when Sean rushed the field with his mom um, would be another big one. Obviously, uh, I think 1959 um, against Texas, um, 87 is a couple of different games on there uh, that you could point to. I think uh, as much as it was a loss, the Tennessee game uh, for Syracuse and T. Martin, I, I think you know there's, there's a lot of entertaining results there. Um, again, as much as like the the game itself uh, was annoying, I, I think a lot of fans. You know, probably would have at least enjoyed taking solace with with their fellow uh, Orange fans um, online. Bunch of lacrosse games. I won't even like get in. I mean, really, any of the national championship games, any of the Final Fours, um, would have been entertaining rewatches um, with this group. Um, the '09 game, honestly, like might be up there. Obviously, this, the site was around, but right. like, obviously, just super crazy. One of the first. Uh, one of my first. Major cross I also didn't go up for that. That was in Foxboro, and I like kicked myself to this day for not <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I didn't either. I mean, granted, a little bit closer for you, but um, definitely wish I uh, I'd made that trek. Um, some other interesting games I wanted to point out uh, on the football side: um, 2003, 49-47 uh, win over North Carolina. Uh, that would have been a fun one. Let's see. 
this is you know spectacular content um i guess just for the lulls um would have loved to uh have the uh gator bowl from uh, 1995 uh 41 nothing went over clemson uh would have just been a great time um both in hindsight and and now uh that could have been a again definitely a good time there um Liberty Bowl against Houston, too, in 1996. Uh, not necessarily you know, the worst rewatch um, ever. Some other ones. We had, like, some really weird games in the 90s. Where, like, 28-20 like, win in 1994 against Virginia Tech um, was another good one um, that I probably tossed on there. But we really did have, like, a lot of weird, uh, like, 1993 game against Texas, 21-21 tie. Um, annoying. I have, like, very little memory about hearing about that. Yeah, Titans, Texas. Just, 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 just a, definitely a dumb result, um, but one that <laughs> I, I think would absolutely like be fun for this group to uh, to have watched together. Um, Ninety two Fiesta Bowl would be another good one. Twenty six twenty two over Colorado. Sorry, I know I'm just kind of like going through a list because I had like a bunch in my head, and then I wanted to make sure we covered a few more. The Hall of Fame Bowl in uh, 1991 over Ohio State, twenty four to seventeen. Uh, would be another good one. Uh, the Diamond Ferry game in 2004. Of course. Uh, can't believe I <laughs> forgot that one uh, to this point. Absolutely worth uh, reliving. We still troll BC over that game like today. <laughs> yeah, e- even though at this point, like BC has the upper hand on us in a couple things. Um, That's right. That game still happened. <laughs> yeah, it still happened. Uh, two games that I think we definitely uh, should <laughs> should have had a rewatch for. We should have a rewatch for it now. Um, the uh, the Coca Cola Classic uh, against Louisville in uh, in 1989 in Tokyo, um, 24-13 win, and then the 1918 win over Georgia in the Peach Bowl. Uh, somehow Obviously. we got yeah somehow we got matched up with a six and six Georgia squad, and uh, and yeah we we beat them in the Peach Bowl. So we are now the residents of uh, the Peach Bowl. There, there 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 is no other team that's ever won the Peach Bowl because we won it against Georgia. Um, in the state really kind of an unfair like unfair draw but you know, <laughs> give us give us credit the, the 1918 boys like really really socked it to them or whatever you'd say as a as a, a watcher of the 1918 syracuse uh orange men just just, <laughs> just roughed them up uh, uh another one i'm still i i know we've talked about it before that, that tokyo game makes no sense to me uh still to this day uh, because it's just it's just odd and make that like, like those sort of exhibitions weren't part of the regular season at any point in like college football's history. So I'm confused as to how that game happened. Um, I, I'd love a I'd love a thirty for thirty on that one. Admittedly, um, another one in there, and I'd say this is probably like the end of the list. Um, the uh, 1984 uh, upset over Nebraska, obviously, would be like yeah, kind of like that's, the, the that's, last one. That's towards the top of the list for sure. Indeed. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty more that, uh, that folks will, will voice opinions about. Um, the last thing I kind of want to talk about today, maybe, unless we get some NBA time, is uh, college football playoff expansion. Now, nothing's been finalized yet, as, as you know, Dan, but... Uh, it's it very much like, down the road. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 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 well, A, it's very much down the road. B, it's you know, very much um, in flux a bit. I mean, I think it's going to get verified at this point because um, it seems like all the powers that be... Um, are on board. What, what I don't understand, I know others have brought up too, is why on earth would Notre Dame agree to a structure where it can't get uh, one of the four first round buys? 
It's yeah, it's pretty shocking that like it, I mean, Notre Dame has like sway. I don't know that they have the sway to prevent like the Power Five from doing something it wants, even though it's it's kind of surprising that <laughs> they're even is, part uh, of a working group. Is what I don't. Yeah, know. that's what that's the surprise part is that Jack Swarbrick was like in the in the group. Yeah, um, let's do this. Yeah, I mean, okay, like it, it's like one of the few things recently that's happened that's kind of maybe pushed Notre Dame joining the ACC full time to like being more realistic, which I am in full support of. Um, because, you know, I think that's the, at some point the ACC needs to find like a big move here. And that's like Jim Phillips, like first job and like his only like super important job is finding a way to like cut down the deficit, the growing deficit between the big 10 SEC and then like us. Uh, so, and adding Notre Dame and then probably another team would be a huge, huge, huge win. And, um, a college football playoff where Notre Dame can't uh, have a bye, even though it's made multiple playoffs, so it's not in the top four multiple times, is like that's a big disadvantage for them if they're trying to win a national championship, which they supposedly are. So, like, um, yeah, maybe they'll say like whatever the independence is worth getting like re- topped out of the five seed, but like if they if they have a couple of those draws, whether it's the five or the six, uh, and they could have possibly been the four, and they lose early, like that's going to start rating on them. And there's also like the younger cohort of Notre Dame fans, maybe they're not super passionate about joining the ACC, but they're much more open to to getting rid of the independents. Um, and we saw, like, this year had worked out really well for them with the ACC. So, uh, yeah, like, I that would be huge. Um, and then, just in general, especially on the Syracuse side, like, it's big news for SU. Um, obviously, like, 2018, they wouldn't have gotten that 12-team field, but they would have been right on the outside looking in. And there's, like, a universe, there's much more of a universe where Syracuse sneaks into a 12-team field than there is Syracuse sneaking into a 14-team field. So, at the end of the day, that's just massive for them. I think it's uh, it's really cool for the group of fives. I'm sh- kind of shocked that they are getting as good a deal as they are because they get screwed over at every turn in college football. So, I'm a big fan. I think this really brings everyone to the table um, in a lot of ways. Like, you're going to probably see multiple group of five teams fairly often with how this is set up unless like the the unless the committee just decides to screw them over now which is possible but you'll see at least one um so yeah it's I, i'm i'm a fan of what they've done I, I think you made the argument 12 is too many but i kind of like like where they've gotten and i'm, I'm again just super super surprised yeah uh, i think there's a lot of surprises here i think that the 12 team thing makes a lot of sense though i mean you and i have obviously been um like very uh, passionate observers of what's happened with the playoff over the last, you know, half decade. And I think one of the biggest issues is really how much the four team event and, and the kind of staticness of the field um, over time has really like diminished um, interest in some of the lesser games. I think it's left a lot of teams, maybe not us necessarily, uh, but left a lot of teams like kind of nonplussed by the time you get to November where if you're out of that foreign team event and ESPN's leaned so heavily into that marketing um, that it's become kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that like all the free publicity, all the free kind of gassing up that they do for all these teams um, just kind of assures that, you know, Ohio state, Alabama, um, Clemson, um, Oklahoma in particular um, are just, you know, the best and that's it. Um, and, 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 and yeah, there's ways around that. And some teams have been able to break through, but ultimately like those teams have, have controlled this event uh, from the start. And, and, and it's definitely, uh, I, I think it's worn on the sport. It's made the sport. I mean, I, I know last year was kind of an exception, but I know you and I, you know, big college football fans definitely didn't feel, you know, the same kind of enjoyment last season that we do typically. And I think over time it's definitely worn on me. Um, 
you know, how, how marginalized, I guess the rest of college football is by a four team event. I think a 12 team event doesn't necessarily open access a ton. I think you still see the same teams win more often than not. Um, but that's always been the case in college football. It's not as if this is a new phenomenon. So for me, I, I think that, you know, this is the sort of thing where, um, it, it makes the postseason more interesting. It makes it more, it makes it at least look more accessible. It is in function more accessible because you're getting, you know, group of five teams and you're, and, and really you're, you're, you're providing a path for, there is no necessarily like power five anymore as much as there's just a, you know, the top six conference champs. So like last year, like coastal Carolina would have like qualified um, over Oregon, uh, which, you know, damning to the PAC 12, but it also, you know, I, I think it motivates everyone a lot more and, and it provides a lot more meaningful games, uh, you know, from mid October, early November on um, where people are jockeying and there's a lot of, you, you kind of get, you kind of get a, a bit of a like bubble NCAA tournament bubble situation um, but for probably a larger group of teams and, and a larger group of teams that don't really, you know, they have varying opportunities to improve their station versus the way it works in college basketball, where like everyone kind of has a, like all those teams end up having a chance to get in um, just because of the, the the size of that field and, and, and the nature of, you know, automatic bids at conferences. But I, I think in this case, this is a fun way to keep those games interesting, keep fans engaged and, 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 you know, stop the, the the incessant focus on well, if you're not in the top four, it doesn't really matter. Which I think is good for the sport overall. I, I, I think the uh, I think the, the the bottom line is that they were looking uh, they were looking for just a way to get more schools involved, as you said. And like while the SEC probably kind of loves its own dominance, it they kind of get the the double win here, where like ultimately you want the game to grow and you want to remain on top of the game growing. But also um, now they have the opportunity to maybe get like four or five teams in the field. So they'll probably take the trade off where like, oh, there will still be more attention paid elsewhere as well. Um, but it's, it's not good. Like It being hyper regional, like it's always going to be that to an extent. But you want less of that. You want less of that if you're the sport and you're like the powers that be because you can't just rely on like one or two leagues uh, having, you know, the, giving the, the most of the attention. It just doesn't it doesn't end up working out as well as you probably hope there. So, no. Yeah, we I always think, said uh, too, like it didn't. It didn't necessarily, like the, the the fourteen playoff did not support larger conferences, like as a concept either. Because realistically, you're just cutting off access to the playoff. This actually makes it. I don't think super team conferences end up happening, but I think that this puts it back on the table as a, as an afterthought, if only because you're no longer, you know, completely like crippled by finishing you know second or third in your league versus now in a four-team event if you don't win your league you're screwed and that's it and and and, it, and and to me i was scratching my head the whole time as expansion was happening thinking like once the playoff was official why would you join a league that you're never going to win or, or you're rarely going to have even a chance to win um why would you put yourself in this situation where you're always knocking on the door but you're never close enough now it doesn't matter you could finish fourth in the sec and conceivably still make the playoff and have a shot to play for it and i think that that's um that, that at least makes all these conference realignment moves make more sense in hindsight and in the future yeah i i do wonder if like i do wonder if you see more uh the expansion being more and you're kind of seeing this already with a lot of the fcs stuff but um, I think Matt Brown might have written about like the potential of like the ace on moving up, which has already been kind of in the 
out there in the world. And then also maybe you see more of a shuffling in terms of um, the better, like the AAC maybe uh, looking to um, add more competitive teams or teams looking to move up to like those more competitive leagues because they might see that as a better gateway to getting to the playoff because like more often than not, there's probably going to be at least one AAC or uh, Mountain West team. Um, but even this year, like Coastal would have made it. So um, had we had the same exact rankings, um, they would have gotten one of the one of the auto bids, which is crazy. Um, so I do wonder. I wonder if like a lot of the expansion stuff is going to be kind of a reshuffling of those of of schools with big aspirations now looking to to maybe set themselves up in better leagues and whether that becomes like a well we want to get into the AAC because you'll have a probably a better resume or if if you're going to see teams more content to um try to win their league and do like a coastal type situation where they're just super like super impressive and run through it um and then i wonder like what byu is going to do because byu is not in a great situation now um for similar reasons to notre dame but like there's a universe in which like a one loss BYU maybe sneaks in as like a Mountain West champion, but like unless they're going undefeated as an independent, they they don't really have a great shot. Yeah, I mean ultimately like this puts Notre Dame on an equal footing to BYU, who didn't have the same uh, like them Army, uh, New Mexico State, UConn. Obviously, joking on the last few uh, Liberty, like they didn't have the same access um, that the G five did because they weren't part of a league um, and there was no real you know avenue for them to get into. Um, you know, the, the six access bowls, I think now um, it, that becomes even more magneti- magnified and it makes independence an even tougher road to hoe. And again, especially for Notre Dame, who had accepted status over those other ones and now does not. Um, definitely going to be tougher. I, I think, I know some were saying that, um, you know, non-conference scheduling becomes a much bigger um, deal going forward. And, and I actually think that this could, like, just reinforce what we already knew, which like the goal of college football is not to lose. Ultimately, it doesn't matter um, who you face. If you get yourself, if you get yourself undefeated and you get yourself to the highest ranking possible at the end of the season, you're in the, you're, you're in the event. And especially now with, with the 12 team event where it, there, there is no reality where a, an undefeated conference champ from any of the power five leagues, the AAC or the mountain West um, misses this thing. And then I think, you know, maybe debatable on the rest, but that's, that's a lot of leagues that, 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 that there's a compelling reason to, to avoid too much, um, you know, too, too, too much friction, I guess, and just, just try to go unbeaten and, and, then, and then dare the committee to, to, to tell you, you didn't play anyone hard enough. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, I, I think it may be that for the group of fives or like the lower level stools that are trying to like just make that kind of a run. Right. But if you're like a, a mid, like a you know four to five ranked SEC team, are you better off trying to play a super hard schedule and just giving your best shot? Because you might be able to sneak in there with three losses if your schedule is really hard and you're really competitive. So I do wonder how they're going to approach it because clearly the stools have been ramping up their scheduling, not going the opposite direction with the thought that that was going to be the case. Um, so, I mean, that's going to be a fascinating thing to see along with, like, you know, half a dozen other things. Agreed, agreed. Um, more on that 
Um, in future episodes, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about this off season once like everything's official and when we know the year and all that. And we can kind of debate like what it would take Syracuse to, to get into that conversation. Um, knowing uh, again, that we were, uh, you know, a short amount of time away from it um, back in 2018. Um, if, if a couple balls had bounced our way, um, Dan with less like minute or two here, I will give you um, the floor to, 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 complain about your, your beloved uh, Brooklyn Nets and, and, and the fact that the, uh, the, the juggernaut might have run over a, uh, a, a strip of, of grenades as we, uh, as we enter what, what looks like to be a, a pivotal game five uh, for them coming up against the Bucks. Yeah, it really sucks. Um, I was at game two with Andy uh, last week, uh, which is why I was not on the podcast. It was unbelievable. It was my first sporting event back in person somewhere, and it was a really good one because we won. I mean, it was a 39-point game. It was ver- ver- like teetering on a 50-point game for a bit towards the end. Um, and after that, like I thought, like this is going to be over at five probably. I-, I assume Milwaukee would get one at home. Um Granted, like, we're not, uh, you know, had Milwaukee just gotten the two at home, but we were uh, healthy, it would be a different situation. But now with both uh, Tyree, who sprained his ankle, looked pretty bad um, in game four, and then Harden still recovering from a hamstring, both, like, injuries you can't really, you can't really come back from until you're ready to come back. So it's not like you can just, like, throw them in there. Um it sucks. I mean, it, it was the team looked like it was playing its best basketball through the Celtic series and the first two Bucks games. And to like basically be up against the wall because of injuries is, is brutal. And like, obviously Kyrie has been pretty injury prone. Harden like was never hurt before this year. And now he has missed a lot of time with two separate hamstring hamstring pulls. So it's, it's unfortunate. Um, it's hard to like, I, I said going into the playoffs, assuming everyone was healthy, that like it was kind of championship or bust. And even with two of those three guys being healthy, it was kind of championship or bust. It's hard to feel that way now because of just the situation they're facing, uh, where now it's kind of Durant and uh, a cast of characters that are like really good when they're like your, your fourth through, you know, eighth guys. It's not so much when they're your second through sixth. Um, but I, you know, I hold on hope. Like I think if they get one of the two guards back for Game Six, I, I think there's still a very good chance they'll they'll find the last two wins here. But um, it doesn't sound super optimistic. Like those two injuries are not ones that like guys just come back easily from and are like step right in and are 100. percent So yeah, it's uh, really unfortunate uh, to miss out on like legitimately may miss out on a championship because of injuries. That's not the way you want to do it. So yeah, at least Agreed. the Mets are good. <laughs> <laughs> the Mets are up three nothing on the Cubs and uh, are in first place by uh, like seven games in the loss column. So we have that the the, the Mets who I can always rely on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've definitely enjoyed uh, th- th- this Mets season so far, and I know I will regret those words um, at some point in the near future. Um, they just have be- like weird like they're they're starting to verge, and this is I'm knocking on my wooden desk right now, which hopefully you can hear. I just dropped a remote. Um, it has like starting to have like midseason 2015 vibes. I and and also like we are not fully healthy and like haven't been all year. So they just seem to have a. It's a fun team, but they just seem to know how to win games. Um, yeah. Degrom is having legitimately one of the greatest seasons of all time uh, so far. Um, and that's like there's in no way is that inaccurate to say he's like up there with like 68 Bob Gibson right now. Um, but yeah, they just like you have like just role players having getting huge hits, like the Villars and uh, Pilars of, of the world, VR, um, like having just huge games. Uh, Alonzo's kind of finding himself, Lindor just 
very much breaking out of like a two month slump to start his Mets career. So yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, hopefully that continues, but right now, like they're the only team in the NL East that, that seems to be like interested in playing any kind of consistent ball. So I'll, I'll certainly take it. And if I have to trade like the Nets for the Mets, like I'm unfortunately for the Nets, I'm going to do that all, every, every time. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it looks like we'll, we're in, in very good shape, especially considering the Mets have had a hilarious number of injuries themselves. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like this is this is one of those weird seasons. And having a lot of time left, um, I know that there's there's definitely exceptions to like. I mean, they've looked rough at times. They've looked really good at times. Um, I don't think this is a juggernaut by any means. I think if this team goes on a run, it's going to be one of those you know classic Mets. Um, like how the hell did this happen sort of things, because that's the only way this team knows how to win things. When, when the Mets, you know, run a rough shot over a schedule, that's usually when the bad things occur, or at least has been since uh, post-1986. Uh, so realistically, um, as much as I would love to just win 100 games and feel great, um, I think I would still enjoy, I, I think history has told me in my life that that does not work. Uh, for this franchise and that we're much better off winning 95 games and then like pissing people off. That's fair. I just wonder, like, obviously it's too early to tell, but if we add a healthy Carrasco to the rotation and we add uh, eventually a cinder guard um, and then you have, I mean, if DeGrom keeps on pitching anywhere near what he's doing now and Stroman keeps on pitching the way he is and uh, Tywan Walker continues to pitch the way he is, like that's going to be a really hard rotation to deal with down the stretch for other teams. So you know, hopefully, well, fingers crossed, I can't deal with multiple teams getting, and I, you know, this is certainly not a championship robust year for the Mets. It's like, a, I'm very happy to be competitive year. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll certainly take a, what is looking like a, you know, hopefully an NL East championship and at least like a, you know, competitive playoff run this, this fall. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens because it, it can certainly go the other way for the Mets, as we know. I, I will conservatively call this a hopeful contention and, if we're lucky, we'll make the playoffs, and I'm not going to change my mind on that until like. That's fair. I think it's very early. <laughs> it's very early, especially to, for like, the Mets, not... who've lost a lot of games to uh, to COVID and then weather already. Yes. Yeah, I mean they're like I think they're tied for the best, like the fewest losses in the NL, but then they have like eight fewer wins than some of those other teams because of just crazy. The COVID was one thing, but like the rainouts have been nuts. Like they they've gotten rained out so many times, it's outrageous. So. Yeah, lots of like double double headers to be had, and which is things, fine because but... our because our because our uh, relievers are sketchy. So, so oh. then we get to cheat because then we get to well, it depends on the day, but at least in the beginning of the season, relievers were looking rough. So then it was funny to get sketchy wins because we just play seven innings twice and then never have yes. to dip all the way <laughs> all the way into the relief. Our first like three relievers are very good, and then it goes it falls off a cliff very fast. Yeah. Um, Hopefully we'll add another like arm or two uh, in the, you know, out of the trade deadline. But um, yeah, no, you can't complain about the Mets right now. They are, they are overachieving uh, given all everything that you've had, especially with like the multiple star hap, star players slumping and everything else. So yeah, happy with that. Not less happy with the Nets, but we'll see what happens with, uh, with my, my beloved Brooklyn boys. Uh, and that's well tomorrow. Fair enough. Uh, Dan, anything else before we had a part today? No, that's pretty much it. You know, touch. Uh, I mean, we didn't talk about my Packers, but I'd rather not. So. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> we're, 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 we're not talking about the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave All that right. one for uh, another time, for sure. There's plenty of off season left. 
Well, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Nunes and Absolute Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.